0: Uh, this is not my sermon notes. This is just a book I'm going to show you a little bit later. We'll be here all day. Uh, One Kings. What a great book! Uh, like like every book of the Bible, it it has structure and purpose, doesn't it? Um, and it, it's not just this you know retelling of history, like you know this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened, and that's it. It's it's actually uh, it's it's a theological reflection on the things that happened. It's very selective about the things it puts in because it's trying to teach us something. So the the, the structure has purpose. And what we see in the structure of 1 Kings uh, is is two kings, really, one at the start and one at the end. So at the beginning, we have King Solomon. So the first 11 chapters, you would have noticed, were were really focused on Solomon and and the things that that he was doing or not doing in the end. Uh, And then these last six chapters of 1 Kings are focused on King Ahab. Uh, he was the king in the north of Israel after the kingdom had split for some time. Uh, and if you've been following along the last few weeks, you'll know that Ahab uh, was the worst king that they had. Solomon the best, Ahab the worst. 1 Kings 16, 33, Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So he, this was the worst king, basically. And the things written about him in 1 Kings, uh, particularly this last bit, are are not good things for Ahab. Doesn't mean Ahab didn't do good things. He actually, he did do many good things. We even read that at the end of 1 Kings in verse 39, chapter 22, where it says, as for the other events of Ahab's reign, including all he did, the palace he built and adorned with ivory and the cities he fortified, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? So Ahab did some good stuff. But that is not what is written about in 1 Kings. Uh, The end of 1 Kings is about the bad things that Ahab did. And because the reason the good things weren't written about is because that is not the purpose of this book of Kings. Uh, This book is about the shape of God's kingdom. It's about the character of the king who rules the kingdom. And Ahab failed to be that king. Uh, He wasn't even close. Right, he was kicking goals for the other team. Right, he had turned around. He's scoring goals the other way. He's worshipping idols, totally refusing to listen to the coach, the God of Israel. Right, he's the opposite of Solomon. Solomon had that listening heart of wisdom uh, that obeyed the word of God. Ahab, uh, the opposite of that. Solomon took him to the mountaintop of glory, uh, with God dwelling in their midst, under His word. Uh, Ahab scattered the people of God, leaving them in like a valley of darkness. And so today what we're looking at is really the things Ahab did not do, Ahab did not defeat the enemy, chapter 20, Ahab did not put things right, chapter 21, Ahab did not have a listening heart, chapter 22. Now just a quick note, why I've got this book here is because I've got those headings from this commentary by John Woodhouse, this is one we've been looking through as I've been preparing sermons and things, it is excellent, it is chunky as you can see. But if, if you want to, if you really want to dig deep into 1 Kings and get more out of it than I guess we've been able to in the, in the way we've approached it, sort of skimming in some ways, this is a great way to go deeper and to read it as a companion. So if you want to grab that or have a look at it, I've got a copy, uh, I'd love you to come and chat to me and I uh, can make that happen. Um, and So these headings are, are coming from there. Now for each one of these we're going to look at uh, what Ahab did, his failure, uh, just, just a quick summary. Uh, then we're going to see the Word of God comes to Ahab through a prophet, speaks to Ahab, and then we'll see his response to that. That's basically it. So summary, Word of God, response. Um, and, and I think, just, just sort to of think about the way that 1 Kings finishes with this look at Ahab. Uh, what's it doing? Uh, it's reminding us of the king that Israel needs. All right, it's looking at the negative of, of Ahab to, 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 to point us back to Solomon. To remind us of the positive that he was but but even then we kind of go well Solomon wasn't you know he wasn't great either he, he was he was good but he failed too and so it even points us back further to the promise of God to David for a son of David to rule his kingdom forever and so that is that is why the book ends this way I think uh, and like all books of the Bible it's going to point us to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's where we'll, we'll finish up today uh, but firstly Let us look at Ahab, Uh, chapter 20. Ahab did not defeat the enemy. So chapter 20, it starts out with uh, the king of Aram, uh, this nation attacking Israel and Ahab. And uh, a prophet says to Ahab, the Lord is going to give Aram into your hands. So you're gonna win this battle. And so he goes off and he does. He wins the battle, complete victory. But it wasn't total the arameans they still survived and so they regrouped they kind of got their strength together and they attacked again the following year uh, and this time they were not taking any chances they had they had sort of maximized their force strengthened it they they vastly outnumbered israel this was another david and goliath battle israel had no chance except that god had said the lord will give aram into your hands and so Israel actually won again against all the odds, and so what we what we see is at the end of the story here is that the king of Aram defeated comes to Ahab and pleads for his life, says, "Let me live," and Ahab shows mercy to the king of Aram, makes a peace treaty with him, and, and so we're sort of thinking as readers, oh, that's good, isn't it? Mercy, showing mercy to someone. Uh, there's peace. That is good." economic prosperity for the nations but the only thing that matters is what God says about Ahab's actions and what does God say well the word of God comes to Ahab through the prophet and what does he say verse 42 this is what the Lord says you have set free a man I had determined should die therefore it is your life for his life your people for his people. So what we see here is that Ahab's mercy was actually disobedience to the word of God. The king of Aram was someone who would have turned Israel to dust if he had his way. And so what he deserved for that was that God had determined that the king of Aram should die, but Ahab had showed him mercy, actually disobeying the word of God, Ahab did not defeat the enemy that he should have. Now you might remember the start of One Kings uh, all, the, all the way back uh, when David was kind of on his deathbed and he told Solomon to kill two of his enemies. You guys remember the start of One Kings when this happened? He told him to kill Joab and Shimei because they had opposed him and his, and his kingship. And, and the, the way the story tells it is that this wasn't just David's revenge on these guys. It was actually the Lord repaying them for their sins against his king, uh, their sin against him. And and you know what, today, you know, we we are are told not to avenge ourselves, are we? We are meant to uh, love our enemies and pray for our enemies uh, and entrust judgment to God who judges justly. So it's not the way we operate today. Uh, But at this time, when God's people were Israel, uh, God carried out his judgments through his king. He carried out his judgments through his kings on earth. And so when Solomon defeated the enemies of God, uh, he was doing the will of God, carrying out those judgments. And when Ahab did not defeat the enemies, uh, he was defying the word of God and being disobedient to God's commands. And so what then is Ahab's response to the word of God that he he will die? Ahab's response is this uh, from verse, 43, sullen and angry the king of Israel went to his palace in Samaria. Sullen is not a word that we, we use much, probably not one of your spelling words on your tests you guys down here. Um, but what it means is that, that Ahab was in a stormy rage. You know when you say someone has like storm clouds over their head, you can just see that the gloom and the darkness, this is what Ahab is like. And, and what he's reacting to is the word of God. But he just hates the word of God. He is angry with the way God does things. And so he as a king, doesn't want to put himself under the word of God. Doesn't want to you know, be under God, serving his people like Solomon was. Uh, he wants to be someone that answers to no one, someone that serves his own interests. This is Ahab. Right? And, and this becomes even more clear, this attitude in the very next chapter that we read in chapter 21. And here we see that Ahab did not put things right. So what happens is that Ahab goes home sullen and angry uh, and, he, and he must sort of see out of his, his window in his palace this nice vineyard outside and he thinks, I would like to have that vineyard. It's nice and close, looks like it's got good soil, whatever, and so he, he wants to have it except it belongs to a man called Naboth. Uh, belongs to someone else and so he says to Naboth, can, can I have your vineyard? I'll, I'll pay for it, good price, top dollar uh, and Naboth says, no, I'm not going to sell it to you because this is the inheritance of our ancestors. Right, when Israel were given the promised land by God, it was divided up through the tribes and through the families and so this was Naboth's inheritance from God, it was a gift from God for his family. He's not going to sell it to anyone because of the value of that. And so he says to, to King Ahab, I'm not gonna sell you the vineyard. Ahab's response, again, sullen and angry, okay? He, this guy just gets sullen and angry a lot. Um, and so he go, he's sort of, he's, he's walking around his palace, he's just kind of moping around sullen and angry, and his wife sees him doing this, you know. Um, Jezebel, you might have heard of her, not a great person. And so she she says, look, I'll get you the vineyard. I'll do it for you. And so she orchestrates this huge plot to have Naboth sort of condemned and killed. And it works, she actually does that. And so when Naboth dies, Ahab leaves the palace and goes to the vineyard and claims it for himself. He's got what he wanted. But the word of God comes to Ahab while he's in the vineyard. The prophet Elijah is sent by God to speak to him, and what what does God have to say to Ahab? Have a look at this, verse 19 and 21. Elijah comes to Ahab, this is what the Lord says, have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. So this is God's judgment on Ahab because God's kings were actually meant to put things right for God's people. They were meant to rule with justice and righteousness for the people. And this was good for Israel. Do you, do you remember when the Queen of Sheba came to see Solomon? You remember that, that great chapter of 1 Kings chapter 10? The Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon in all the glory of his kingdom and his wisdom, and she, she notices what is good about this. Have a look at this from chapter 10, a reminder. She says, how happy your people must be, how happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. So you can see the people, when the king maintains justice and righteousness for his his people, they are happy under that rule. That is a good rule. Ahab is not like that. Ahab is doing more wrong than right among God's people. He's doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. He's, he's actually not helping Israel, he's taking them down. Right, therefore, Ahab is condemned to die and his family wiped out. What is his response to this? What are you thinking? Sullen and angry, maybe, possibly? No, this is this is actually quite a surprise. Here's the response, verse 27. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. So these things are these are signs of repentance. These are signs of humility. It's actually it's actually like a good sign that he's actually uh, repenting of his sin and turning back to God. But do you know what's even more surprising than than his response? I think it's, it's God's response, because what God does is God has mercy on Ahab. How can God do that? Ahab is the worst of kings, he's the worst of sinners, he has done such evil and injustice. How could God have mercy on someone like that? I think God's mercy is meant to surprise us here, because this is not how, how we operate, this is not how we would do things. You know, someone does something wrong to us, they're cancelled, they're condemned, they're convicted. That person does not deserve my attention anymore. We are not merciful people, but God is merciful. God abounds in mercy. Even for Ahab, the worst of sinners, he would he would forgive and show him mercy when he repents. Remind me of Paul. Paul also said he was the worst of sinners, but this is why God showed him mercy. In 1 Timothy 1.16 he says this, He says, I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Uh, We should give thanks for the mercy of God. Uh, Give thanks that he would forgive those who repent. Even the worst of sinners, sinners like Ahab, like Paul, uh, maybe even like you and me. God's mercy is so great, uh, and he is so ready to forgive people who repent. That that is what we're seeing here. But but what should should we make of Ahab's repentance? Uh, Is it genuine? From what we know about Ahab, uh, are you a little bit suspicious of what he's doing here? You should be, a little bit. And the next story is gonna give us the answer to where his heart is truly at. So Ahab did not have a listening heart. And so we come to the chapter that we read today, um, and so this was some years later. We've got Ahab, the king of Israel, from the north. Uh, we've got the king of, the, of Judah from the south, Jehoshaphat. Um, not easy to say, five times fast. Um, and, and they sort of have this alliance, and, and they want to take back one of the cities that one of their enemies has, has taken, you know, one of the cities that God gave them. They want to take it back. And so they, they form this alliance. But Jehoshaphat says we should seek the counsel of the Lord first. That's good, that's a good thing, well done. Let's just call him Jay, how about that, is that easier? Jehoshaphat, well done. And so Ahab sort of gathers these 400 prophets that he's got and and they all say the same thing. They say, go and do it. The Lord is gonna give this city uh, to your hands. And one of them, did you see Zedekiah, one of the prophets? Doing like the street theater, he got the horns out, and he's parading around with the horns, saying, "You're going to gore them, you know, like like, like a bull or something." And and so it's his big big kind of production from these prophets. This is what's going to happen. You're going to win. But Jehoshaphat, uh, wise king that he seems to be, not convinced. He wants another. He wants a second opinion. And so Micaiah, uh, a prophet, is brought in, uh, the one who never says anything good about Ahab. Uh, That's so funny isn't it Uh, Ahab does not like him because he doesn't say good stuff about Ahab and so Micaiah is brought in and and on the way they kind of say to him look you know they're having a good part of a party here all the prophets are saying the same thing you know Zedekiah has got his horns out so don't you know don't don't ruin the party by saying something bad just agree with everyone and it's all going to be good and so Micaiah says I'll just say what the Lord tells me Uh, that's what a prophet does the prophet speaks words the Lord gives them and so he says that's all I'm gonna do And so he comes in and um, and the first answer that he gives is actually surprising because he says yes go you're gonna win but he probably said it with that kind of tone yeah yeah go you're gonna win and so uh, King Ahab knows no that's that's good he always says bad things about me so he makes him tell him the truth said no no tell me the truth And so Micaiah speaks the truth to Ahab. Verse 17, the word of God comes through the prophet and he says, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And he says that actually these 400 prophets, they're actually enticing you to go to battle so that the word of the Lord will be fulfilled and you will die there. And so he gives him the word of God. And, and what is Ahab's response? Well, the last response was seemed kind of good, but this response shows us what's really going on for Ahab. Uh, Ahab actually defies the word of the Lord. And we can see he is still sullen, he's still angry with God. He doesn't want to obey him. And so what he does is have, he has Micaiah locked up, locks up the word of God. Just put that away, I don't want to hear it. And then he goes into battle anyway even though he's told not to. He goes into battle, but he disguises himself. you know, Puts on the fake mustache and the, and the hat and goes into battle so he won't be targeted, won't be killed in battle. So he tries to defy the word of God and, and avoid its outcomes by doing these things. But what happens? Uh, he, he can't avoid the word of God. He goes into battle and he's killed there. Ahab dies in battle, fulfilling the word of the Lord. John Woodhouse, from this commentary, has a great quote uh, that tells us why this was the case. And so we will read it out, it'll be up on the screen for us. The word of the Lord is the power behind everything, the throne above and behind all thrones, the power over and above all powers, the one who directs all of human history throughout all time and all creation. Now the word of the Lord is the power behind everything and and this was Ahab's fundamental flaw: is that he did not hear the word of God and obey he didn't have that listening heart of wisdom that does that you know, at the word of the Lord he should have defeated God's enemies he did not at the word of the Lord he should have put things right ruling in justice and righteousness but he did not he should have repented and obeyed at the word of the Lord uh, but he did not have that listening heart and of course we're reminded that, that Ahab's flaw was actually Solomon's strength. Uh, he was one that prayed for wisdom which was the heart that listens to the Word of God and is obedient to it and, and under Solomon we saw, we saw the, the joy of that, the benefits of that. Uh, we saw Solomon building God's temple uh, God, uh, Solomon gathering God's people, God dwelling in their midst and ruling by his word. Right, and Solomon did all that according to the word of the Lord. But now at this point, with Ahab who rejects the word of the Lord, we've come to the low point. Uh, we've come to Israel scattered uh, like sheep without a shepherd, all because Ahab would not obey the word of the Lord. And so this, of course, it's pointing us back to Solomon, isn't it? It's pointing us back to him and to what a king should be like. But then we know Solomon failed, and so it's pointing us back even further to the promise of God to David. Right? God's promise to establish a son of David, his king, on the throne, forever ruling over his eternal kingdom. A great promise. Right? This is the hope of Israel. This is why books like One Kings, Two Kings were written, to, to remind us of this hope. And so at the end of One Kings, we actually, our, our attention is drawn again to this hope. So we don't finish with Ahab, we actually finish with another look at Jerusalem. Right, we, we, we travel back south. We, we've been sort of focused on the Northern Kingdom for the last like seven or eight chapters. But toward the end, we, we turn back south to Judah, and what do we see there? We see the king of, 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 uh, of Judah sitting on his throne, a son of David in Jerusalem. And so it's kind of like you know, in the midst of this sort of crumbling and corrupt kingdom, uh, we are focused on the hope of Israel. Right? This, this son of David that is coming, that king sitting on the throne of Judah. And the writer just does not want us to forget that. If you jump even to the end of two kings, you'll see the same thing. It is the king remaining, the promise remaining, the hope remaining. Because from Jerusalem, from David's line, will come this great king, greater than Solomon. uh, He will defeat God's enemies once and for all. He will put things right. He's going to rule in justice and righteousness. Uh, He will be the one who has the perfect listening heart, obedient to the word of God. Um, now, I've been reading the Gospels uh, quite a lot. I started about three years ago just thinking, I'm just going to read a chapter of a Gospel every day, um, just to get more familiar with them, because I felt I wasn't that familiar with the Gospels. So I've been doing that, not every day, but I try for every day. And, and what you notice is, as you become more familiar with the Gospels, you, you pick up all the echoes of the Old Testament uh, being fulfilled and coming true in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, because the claim of the gospel is actually huge. We might be familiar with it, but it's massive. It's that Jesus is the promised king. He is the hope of Israel. He is the hope of the world. It's a massive claim. And But as you read through the gospels, you can see that's what they're trying to tell us, that Jesus is the promised one. So here's a few examples from, from John's gospel, John 12, 49. We see Jesus was the king who had the listening heart obedient to the Word of God. So John tells us, or well, Jesus uh, speaks here, he says, uh, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, uh, was from God. He heard, he did, he saw, he did. Uh, he was the one who was obedient to his Father. And in, he, in his life, we see Jesus acting as a king should. He, he put things right. Right, Matthew 9, 36, listen to this echo. Uh, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right, That is how the kings of Israel left God's people, like sheep without a shepherd. And here comes Jesus and he, he is regathering the lost sheep of Israel. He is teaching them, he is healing them, he is caring for them. He is ultimately the one who is putting things right, restoring what is lost and broken for God's people. And we see Jesus was this king who did not serve himself like Ahab did, but he came to serve others. He tells us that in Mark ten forty-five: For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he served his people by giving his life upon the cross he did that to set us free from sin and death, to defeat all our enemies but particularly the enemy behind all enemies, to defeat Satan and sin and death, all those enemies that oppose God's people in the world. And Jesus rose again victorious, he is king forever, he is ruling in righteousness and justice and he will until the day that he defeats all his enemies. Uh, when he comes again on that day he will bring eternal rest to God's people in the new creation and I think the best thing about this king if you want to think about what is the best thing about Jesus as king uh, it is that we get to share in this victory with him right sinners though we are ourselves enemies of God Uh, if you don't think you're an enemy of God read the bible uh, our sin, our rebellion, uh, tells us that we are enemies of God in our sin. We do not deserve his forgiveness and his mercy, but, but such is the abundant mercy of God that anyone who repents and believes will be forgiven, uh, given a place in the kingdom of God forever under the Lord Jesus. And it's because of that, that we can say with confidence, uh, like the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians, uh, that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Uh, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is true for you. You are a member of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your king. All right, One Kings reveals that for us, doesn't it? It points us to that, the shape of God's kingdom uh, and the character of the king of God's kingdom that we now have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It really lights him up for us so we can see him. Uh, In him we have life in God's kingdom. It's not here yet, we know that, uh, but we are confident that it will come. Uh, Until then, we know we want to be like Christ. We have his spirit, to have those listening hearts that that hear his word, that is obedient to his word, uh, that is walking in his way until he comes again. Uh, people who have Jesus as their king are happy people uh, because of the hope they have in him. Uh, we have this sure and certain secure hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will forever. I just want to finish with a, just a quick story. Uh, I was at a conference um, a couple of weeks ago, and I was sitting next to this lecturer from Moore College uh, who, has, who has been at Moore College forever. And uh, he's really well respected, really wise, uh, really really lovely and great teacher. And I was sitting next to him, and the MC at the, at the stage says, turn to the person next to you and tell them why you love Jesus. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, he's gonna, you know, he's got so much wisdom and he, you know, he's been reading the Bible so long and he's gonna say something so, so profound and just awesome. And, and so I, I turned to him and, you know, let him go. And he just sat there silently, just, just thinking for a while. Uh, and then he said very simply he said i love that i am eternally safe with jesus so so simple Uh, and i was so moved by that right if jesus is your king this is true for you you are safe with him eternally there is nothing better than that and so as we're finishing one kings thank god for this amazing book uh, that would point us to jesus Uh, our Lord and our Saviour, our King, uh, and His eternal Kingdom. Uh, We can be thankful for that. Uh, Let's pray now. Let's give God thanks, uh, and then we're going to sing together after that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful uh, to have Jesus as our King. Uh, Lord, we are so happy uh, to know Him and to know we are eternally safe. Uh, in Him, uh, the One who died for us and is risen and shows us mercy, sinners though we are. Uh, Father, we thank You for Your forgiveness uh, and we pray that in light of that, uh, that we would hear Your Word, uh, that we would hear it uh, with wisdom and listening hearts, obedient to Your Word, uh, forever growing in our knowledge and love of You. And Father, we thank You that uh, even though life is difficult, Um, that you will carry us through, that you will bring us to that last day, that you will give us rest in your kingdom. Our Lord, encourage our hearts this morning with this truth. Uh, Keep us looking to Jesus. Lord, may we forever glory in our wonderful King. And we pray this in his name. Amen.